Mini episode 1121 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1121. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with a beloved FDH Lounge dignitary, one of our good friends going back over a period of time. You can catch him on any number of broadcast outlets, uh, most prominently these days, uh, making appearances with his podcast co-host, uh, Joe Stazak on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia, and of course, their great show that they do together, Callous Remarks. Our good friend Steve Callis coming back in to talk about the uh, 2019 Belmont. We wouldn't normally do a preview unless there was a triple crown at stake, but there has been an unprecedented amount of weirdness through this triple crown season. So we got to cut through it with uh, our number one railbird here in the FDH Lounge, my good friend Steve Callis. How you doing, my friend? Great to be with you as always, Rick. Looking forward to it. Well, uh, I love having you in here to uh, talk about these things, and we go back to the uh, Kentucky Derby, of course, the draft that we did going into this uh, here beforehand with the estimable uh, Jody McDonald, national radio host on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, We all picked our three horses to go through here, Uh, Jody's Improbable, Vacoma, and Tax. Tax is going to be running in the uh, Belmont here. You, Steve, with game winner, code of honor, maximum security. You got 10 points collectively out of that because it's 15, uh, 10, and 5 as far as the uh, the point system here. You got 10 coming out of the Derby. Uh, arguably should have been uh, more than that. It would have been it would have been 20 because you would have had code of honor getting knocked down. Note my objection for the record. <laughs> You're joining the class action suit. I know you are. Uh, versus me, Tacitus was my second-round pick. I wouldn't even have gotten those five points had it not been for the DQ. Roadster and win-win-win. So you got ten points coming into the Belmont, but no horses. Jody Max got no points, but he's got tax. I got I, I got the best of both worlds. I got a horse that's in it, Tacitus, right now the favorite, and five points coming out the uh, Kentucky Derby. We'll get to the Belmont subsequently, but uh, this whole weird, wild journey that we went down here in this Triple Crown season. It starts with, of course, the Kentucky Derby, what happened in the home stretch. Another one of these real soupy races like we've seen the last couple of times. I don't know if it's the last couple of years, but it's been a couple times in the last couple of years where it's raining like hell down in Louisville, and they're just kind of going through it. And you get to the back stretch, and you, you get to the, the clogging up that there was, an incredible amount of congestion there. And then uh, towards the end, uh, the drift by maximum security that will go down in history because it was judged to basically cut off the path of uh, war of will 
and a couple of the other horses there, and uh, some fine, what I would call defensive driving. I think that's the term they use in driver ed class uh, by some of the other jockeys involved there because we'll get to that in a moment as far as what the sport avoided, which in my mind is catastrophe in all capital letters. Instead, it just suffers the indignity of the first ever finish to go down this way. It was one of those things, I know you were watching the aftermath as was I, and it was one of those things where the announcers were saying initially, well, it doesn't mean anything that they're still looking at it. And then a couple minutes later, it was like, yeah, it probably means something that they're still looking at it. And <laughs> subsequently, it did, Steve. History is made, much to the chagrin of your third-round draft pick, the horse's owner, everyone that had money bet on the horse, and not least of which, you. I, I didn't see him interfere. Did I miss something? <laughs> no, as you pointed out, and I know we'll talk about some more, it, it, it could have been a total catastrophe. Uh, I will say this, though, and I am not saying they should not have taken him down. Clearly there was interference. My complaint at the time was twofold. First of all, the judges didn't even put up an inquiry. And my sense of it is, and, and understand that the judges can even put up an inquiry, inquiry while the race is going on. You will see on occasion, before the race is finished, the inquiry sign is already flashing. Right. Um, I believe, and I really believe this, and, and, you know, the judges took no questions. The stewards, I should say, took no questions. The first question I would have asked the steward was, well, why didn't you put up the inquiry sign? It was right. so terrible. Right. And I think the answer to that question is 145 Kentucky Derbies nobody's ever been taken down. And you don't really want to do that in a triple crown race, especially the first triple crown race. Although, again, there was no doubt there was interference. My second complaint was initially when they announced who had, um, who had filed an objection as opposed to a steward's inquiry, it was the jockey on the horse who finished second and he was in no way bothered and he got on the air interviewed before the horse was taken down and his horse was put up and said oh yeah yeah i got bothered uh uh, uh i got knocked sideways mm -hmm. and of course everybody laughed at that then and after but supposedly another jock on the 21 horse a 20 horse and then and, and they said there were two objections the horse who didn't get objected and got put up, that's what bothered me. The horse who, who got put up, they could have gone around the track again, and, and he wasn't beating maximum security. Mm -hmm. But the other horse did, did soundly get knocked sideways. And interestingly, as you know, for some reason that still wasn't really explained after the race, War of Will, who is not only the one who got the worst of it, but almost is the one who went down. I know you've alluded to that. And he would come back to win the Preakness. His jockey didn't even file an objection. So yeah. there was, all I'm saying from my perspective, and I, look, I don't care if maximum security won or not, other than if I lose this, again, I will be joining some lawsuit with the owner of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the owner of maximum security. And not that I'm bitter or anything. Right? Yeah, of but, course not. But um, it was interesting to me because I'll say this. If nobody objected, and if World of World Jockey didn't object, you got to wonder if anybody else would. But if, if nobody had objected, I believe the... Stewards would have put up maximum security as the winner because that's kind of how it goes at the racetrack. Yeah. And I think they didn't want any part of it, but once they were thrown into it, and you're thrown into it when somebody objects, um, you know, there was clearly interference, and it could have been a total catastrophe. You know, um, 
Mark Cassie, the trainer of War of Will, who got the worst of it, he was the one who had his legs right in between maximum security's hind legs. Right. He said this horse is a very athletic horse. And, you know, I wish we had done a Preakness show because I did like, thankfully I said it with Joe Stazak, I did like War of Will in the Preakness only because for him to come back two weeks later, Mark Cassie is right. He's an incredible athlete not to have gone down. And that also said to me that he was 100% sound and 100% ready to go. Right. There were no ill effects from that. Um, but as you pointed out, yes, this could have been a major catastrophe, not only for the Kentucky Derby, but for the entire sport of uh, horse racing. Well, yeah, and uh, more about that in a second. But as far as the whole notion here, because you get a lot of stuff out there, there's a lot of mouth-breathing commentary about, oh, you don't want the refs deciding the outcome of the game. Same thing you tend to hear. <laughs> I'll tell you where there probably weren't. If there are intellectually honest people, and I'm sure there are some there. I've met a few. Uh, if there are intellectually honest people in New Orleans, they probably didn't have that re- reaction to the outcome of the race. And I'll tell you why. Because had the refs, quote-unquote, decided the outcome of the NFC Championship game, the Saints would have been in the Super Bowl. Actually, they did kind of decide the outcome by not throwing a flag. So, you know, they have the fate of the race, in this case the stewards. They have the fate of it in their hands either way. And if you decide that just because it's the brightest spotlight there is in the sport, that basically when push comes to shove, the rules are toilet paper because, eh, well, you know, if it was a Wednesday afternoon at Thistledown, you know, we'd call it, but uh, not now. No, the rules either apply or they don't apply, Steve. And, and in this case, I think it was pretty cut and dried. The shock came from the fact that they followed through on it because I think everybody just assumed I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people assumed they would flinch when push came to shove, and they didn't. Well, I think, again, to me, they flinched originally by not putting up the inquiry sign, but what there was, yes. once there was an objection, and you had to look at Good it, point. and it was much worse than certainly I thought, right? Um, and much more dangerous when you saw the close-up, close-up, close-up that you never see, that you never see, which is, you know, one horse's legs, War of Will's legs, literally inside the... Hind quarters. I mean, that is unbelievably lucky. Plus, he's an athlete. Believe me, I don't think it was just War of Will is a good athlete. I think he was very lucky, as was the whole field, as was the whole sport. Um, but in terms of your Wednesday at Thistledown, I will say this Bill Mott, who was put up as the winner and was the only classy guy in the bunch, he said it was bittersweet. He said, I'm going to be known as the guy who's horse won by DQ. But he did say before they put up his number, they said, I can tell you this. They asked him, you know, and he would not say, oh, the stewards should take him down. He was saying all the right things. Bill Mott's a Hall of Fame trainer, and the only race he hasn't won is the Derby. But he did say if this was Tuesday afternoon and somewhere yeah. in a maiden race, he would definitely come down. So that can happen. Absolutely. By the way, I'm sure I wasn't the only person, and as a matter of fact, I know I wasn't because I saw a couple other folks who tweeted the same kind of thing subsequently here. The closest parallel that I had in my mind sports-wise to this was the 81 Indianapolis 500, and immediately that, that came to mind for some other people as well. Just the way that the owners are arguing about this and will be until their dying days, so too has it been the case for Bobby Unzer and Mario Andretti all these years on, uh, you know, one guy's the winner, then the other guy's the winner, then months later in a lawsuit, the other one's the winner. History's not going to repeat itself. This is not going to get overturned again. But, uh, again, Twitter proved I wasn't the only one that had that parallel in mind. Well, and, and, and that's true. The other thing, though, I'll say that I will say about horse racing that is unlike, although racing cars is similar, but when you talk about, for example, the Rams and the Saints, 
the problem to me also with that first horse who came in, the, with the horse who came in second who was placed first objecting when he didn't even get interfered with. Right. Um, on the racetrack, in the Kentucky Derby, there were 19 horses. There are 19 teams. And when there's 19 teams, there's 19, dip, you know, Rams and Saints, it's two teams. Most sporting mm. events, two teams. You have a good analogy with the Indy car racing because um, that's, I won't say every man for himself because sometimes they're in the same team and they help each other, but there are multiple teams. Right. Aren't just, it's not just two, it's many more than two. So when you have 19 teams, especially in the horse race, especially in the slop, you know, I was disappointed they gave his jock 15 days because I think any jockey in the world, I don't care who you tell me it is, any Hall of Fame jockey, if you've got a young horse who's coming around the turn and either 150,000 people are screaming or there's 20,000 people in the infield, which people have objected to, um, or he jumped over a puddle or whatever you want to think happened, nobody ever really said specifically what happened. It's very hard. I don't think anybody could have kept him. I think they gave him 15 days because it was the Kentucky Derby and they DQ'd him. I think he should have got a few days. But I thought 15 was a lot. But I think it kind of played into the narrative. Once you're taking the horse down, who are you going to punish? You've already punished the horse and the owner and the trainer. you got to punish the jockey because it was his fault. But I assure you, having driven harness horses that have jumped over puddles and jumped sideways from crowds in the infield... Uh, it was not the jockey's fault. Well, and that's an interesting perspective, and you know a lot more about that than I do uh, as, as far as uh, the capacity of jockeys to be able to exert control, so I'll believe you on that one. But something that we've teased a little bit here that we want to get into a little bit before we move on, and that is the potential ramifications, the ones that were fortunately avoided. And this is a thing where, again, horse racing has been a declining sport uh, for decades now. There are any number of factors. Uh, I'll tell you this. As somebody who I grew up in a family uh, of uh, handicappers, and, uh, again, my, my one grandfather and a couple of my great uncles were, like, genius level. And my dad is very good, and I don't, I don't claim to be on their level, but I'm not bad. Uh, but I've been, my whole life I've been going on and off, and it's, it's always predominantly old people there. So it's a declining demographic. <laughs> That's part of it. It's, it's the same thing with baseball. Baseball's been sort of a decline, and I, I decry that in both instances as well because I enjoy horse racing, and I obviously really love baseball, but it is what it is. Two things along the way. The first one, I had to go back and check what this was because I, I didn't remember it at the time. I was too young to remember it, but I, I thought I saw an ESPN documentary subsequently, and it turns out I did, on Ruffian. 1975 at Belmont Park, breaking the leg on national television. Uh, estimated television audience of 20 million, apparently, for that one there. So that was something where it, it's a milestone in the downturn of horse racing. Barbaro in 2006, subsequently passing away in 2007, but everybody seemed to know uh, the fix was going to be in after snapping that twig at the, at the Preakness. Uh, it, it almost seemed anticlimactic when they had to put him to sleep. But it's a thing where that was very uh, traumatic also for the public. What we could have had here, okay, this spectacle that we always have, it's the biggest day of the year in horse racing, the celebrities are there, all the frou-frou, everything like that. Let me tell you something. This would have been the death of the Kentucky Derby, of the Triple Crown as we know it. Does it exist in some form or fashion after this? Sure, but they probably show it on tape delay at 3.17 Eastern Time on the Bravo Network. This would be the death... Oh, I, I'm not overstating this, because if you saw what would have been a bloodbath of, of horses and jockeys intertwined 
uh, there on the track, what we could have had, because this would have been, you know, the proverbial 20-car pileup on the I-5 out in California, except it would have been, uh, again, more than one horse. We've seen how traumatic the public takes it when it's one horse. Think about multiple ones. Think about jockeys getting crushed underneath. Think about what that would have been. And, again, it never would have... Everything would, would be just a tiny fraction of what it was... Uh, coming out of it here. It is impossible to overstate how catastrophic it would have been for the sport had that happened. So, uh, again, as far as the defensive driving abilities for the War of Will jockey and the others who were able to kind of keep this from happening, thank God. I always wonder when I watch it, right? You see congestion in a lot of races. It, it almost seems like there, but for the grace of God, go we in a number of races. But particularly this one, Steve, we've never seen it closer to being a complete catastrophe and on the biggest scale at that. It's unthinkable well, what the aftermath would have been if that happened. Well, it's an incredibly dangerous sport. And, and again, having been in a few wrecks with race bikes myself, it's the old you can't really think about it. If that gets the better part of you, that's the day you retire. Um, incredibly dangerous. I will say this, though, before basically agreeing with you, I will say this. In my mind, to take him down or not take him down should have had nothing to do with what could have happened. And you heard a lot of experts. There's a horse racing expert named Randy Moss, not that Randy Moss, sure. uh, who's been around for a long time. And he said, well, part of the reason that he should have taken him down is because look what could have happened. No, 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 no. I totally disagree with that. Having said that, I'm not going to argue, as I said, other than what I said about no inquiry, etc. But yes, I believe you are right. Look, when Ruffian raced Foolish Pleasure... There were complaints beforehand because, as you know, she was a filly racing against the Kentucky Derby winner. Right. And and I think it's almost like with the women can't do what men do, um, there is no doubt from a speed, power, et cetera, perspective in sports like harness racing, thoroughbred racing, et cetera, the fillies ra- rarely race and beat the Colts. They do sometimes. They And, 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 and Ruffian was a super filly. So... As it turned out, she broke down, so everyone said, oh, you know, the people who said that said, oh, we're, we're right, she can't go. But that's not true, because as we're learning now, and I will point you to the thing we were talking about on HBO on Real Sports, uh, I encourage the listeners to go watch this, although it's ugly, about horse racing today and what happens. Um, but yes, I thought back then, and that was 75, um, you know, I think a lot of people started walking away. You know, it, it, it started being great it was great for many years as you know it was the only gambling game in town right in 1950 they took a poll in 1950 it was baseball boxing and horse racing with the three top sports mm-hmm. and and by 1980 90 2000 uh horse racing has become the triple crown and maybe the breeders crown yeah and and Boxing, I thought, shot itself in the foot with pay-per-view. I mean, I don't even know what a heavyweight championship is now. Mm-hmm. And and while it made many, a number of people gazillionaires, I think you lost, I watched the Friday Night Fights with my father when I was a kid. It was on free TV every Friday. Watched yeah. it every Friday. And after that, for you bowling lovers out there, Rick, right. <laughs> they had make that spare for 15 minutes in New York. They had a 12-minute boxing match, 10 to 10.45, and then make that spare 15 minutes. We watched that religiously, as did tons of people. But now, because of the lottery, 
because of OTB, many people don't go to the track anymore. I, I, I go to Yonkers when I was a kid. Yonkers, there'd be 25,000 a night on the weekends. Yonkers and Roosevelt Raceway, harness racing. Right. I, I go every Saturday with my friends. And that's what got me into the business and how I wound up driving and training harness horses for a while. But if you go to Yonkers today on a Saturday, there's 200 people there. There's, there might be 5,000 in the casino. Right. <laughs> but they're not watching harness racing. So... They kind of shot themselves in the foot to the point where I think in thoroughbred racing there are essentially five big days. The three triple crown and the two breeders crown and nobody pays attention unless you're a diehard and those diehards are getting older and older and older and dying. And they're not going to be replaced. In terms of the danger of that, I don't think you can overstate it because that was right in the middle. Again, I think the, I think the derby should only be 14 or 15 horses, whatever that first gate is. Um, Owners want it because that gives five more people a chance to be in the Derby every year. It doesn't matter if they're 80 to 1 or, you know, 3 to 5. It doesn't matter. Right. But right. Uh, definitely there would have been a change in the amount of horses because that's always dangerous. It's the only time it happens. You have things like this. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a real bad wreck in the Derby. But you're right. This could have been the worst of the worst because you had eight horses behind those horses. Yeah. <laughs> those three or four or five that were clumped together that were all going to get knocked over. Um, there were eight more behind them. And yeah. I'll say it again. You're in those tight quarters all the time. You're in it every race you're in. You're in tight quarters. It's a little different with 19 or 20. But you're in that if it's an eight-horse field, you're in that. And so I think it was incredibly dangerous. It could have been a catastrophe. And I agree with you, if it was, it would just lengthen the calls in Santa Anita. They're having protests every day. There are people outside of Santa Anita with signs and honking horns. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a problem. Now, Santa Anita, as you and I discussed uh, before, uh, they had the worst rains in the history of Santa Anita there in California. Maybe they shouldn't have raced. They closed the track for a month. Right. Because they wanted to have the Santa Anita Derby, which, as you know, is one of the main preps. Right. Um, but, but again, if you watch this thing on Real Sports, it's uh, very compelling uh, and will make you think and made me think. And I love the horses. But I think there has to be, I think there's a general, you know, when OTB opened in New York, uh, a guy wrote an article, there won't be 50 tracks uh, 20 years from now, there'll only be three. And he wasn't totally right, but he's a lot right. As you know, a lot of these small tracks are closing down. Right. And, and uh, there just aren't enough good horses to go around. And the one problem between American racing and everywhere else is the drug factor. Right. And people want, don't want to talk about the drug factor. But in the HBO thing, they interview an American trainer who trains in Paris. Yeah. And she was, I would never drug my horses everywhere else but the United States. On race day, you cannot have any drugs in your system. They have incredible drug testing. If you're ever found with steroids in your horse on race day, you lose your license. You can't race in Europe, period. Yeah. And as you know, in America, it's not like that at all. I mean, these horses are racing literally so they can't feel the pain in their legs. And sometimes those legs snap, and it happens far more in America. I'm talking about all across the country, not just Santa Anita. Right. And anywhere else in the world. And so there are people in the United States who want to get to no drug. They, they, they say you just race on uh, hay, feed, and water. You right. know, that's the saying. Um, and that's how it is in Europe. But that's not how it is in America. And I don't know if they can get over the hump. The jockey club, which kind of runs 
informally thoroughbred racing. There's no national commissioner or anything. They've proposed legislation to try and get Congress of the United States to have a federal czar and a federal law about all of this. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of other owners and trainers want to race their horses, and if they have to give them some drugs, you know, there's not the pure horseman in every barn. <laughs> and That's the pure right. horseman would want, would want, you know, hay, oats, and water. Uh, but not the one who wants to make money. And as you know, virtually everybody wants to, some have to, make money. And that's the holdup. So I would hope they would do that before they'd end the sport. But I think, uh, I don't think you're exaggerating when you say if, you know, eight horses went down and three got killed and the jockey got killed and two others got crippled. You know, Ronnie Turcotte, who rode Secretariat, he eventually was crippled in a race. Um, he won the Triple Crown with Secretariat, maybe the greatest horse of all time. He wound up in a wheelchair. Yeah. So there are incredible dangers. I don't think the average fan really understands, but you could see it if you had half a brain. You could see the potential for that kind of disaster once you started seeing all these close-ups after the race. Absolutely, and it's a sign of where the sport is today that, again, there's not nearly as much that needs to be said about uh, the Preakness, obviously, as the Derby, but uh, we will talk about the freak show aspect of that. And that's what's interesting is that NBC right now, they realize that, again, you don't have the Derby winner, you don't have the Derby would-be winner uh, running the uh, uh, in, in the uh, Belmont. So that, that aspect of it is gone. And, uh, again, so you really never get to get any closure between those two horses like there could have been if we got a chance to see them in another big-time race here. But, anyways, they got nothing to market except for the circus part of it. You know, they're, they're, they're running clips on TV. Look what happened in the Derby. Look at what happened in the Preakness. By which, of course, we mean the jockey getting immediately dismounted. Uh, luckiest thing in the world. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, I should have had my foot in the stirrup. Well, uh, good thing you didn't, because you probably would have gotten dragged for about a mile if you had. So, luckiest thing that ever happened. Now, that was uh, reminiscent of watching, you know, uh, people getting thrown off the mechanical bulls the way that he went, like, straight up in the air and down. And, again, fortunately walked away from it. But, uh, again, the whole thing, I mean, it went viral afterwards. People were like, oh, look at this video here. There's a horse that's running without a jockey. Like, yeah, it's, well, it, it's and, running and, without and direction, but it's also running without another 100 pounds on its back. So, you know, yeah, it, it, that, was it, was it that, that big was, of a disadvantage? Well, that was John Velasquez, a Hall of Fame jockey. Yeah. And, again, these things happen. You just pray they don't happen. Uh, look, you said before, Barbara broke down in the Preakness. You pray they don't happen. You pray they, they never happen, but you really, if you're in the business, you pray they don't happen in the big races because that was, frankly, half a disaster as well. And then the inability, and I'm not saying they should have been able to, these outriders are trained well. Um, the inability of the outrider to get control of the horse where he actually not only ran around the track during the race without a jockey, apparently he ran around the track again afterwards before they could finally get him. Now right. you have a horse who runs, you know, two and a half miles at top speed, and he's going to get tired, and you can catch him. And if you recall, at the top of the stretch in the Preakness, the, the outrider came on and tried to get him where he was on the outside. Usually you want to come up and get a horse from the inside so you can really control him. But he couldn't do that because they, he was right in the middle. He wasn't in the middle of the race, but he was right 
near the pack of horses. So he tried at the top of the stretch, couldn't get him, and the horse went around again, and then eventually they got him. And that's another potentially dangerous thing, not as dangerous as what we saw in the Derby, but A, obviously Velasquez could have gotten seriously hurt, and B, you don't know if the horse is going to run into somebody or try and run off the track. You know, sometimes horses see a gate, and they run off the track. If there was an open gate by accident somewhere with 100,000 or whoever was at the Preakness there, you, who knows what the hell could have happened. Um, but yes, it, it is by definition, and I think people understand this, but it is by definition a very dangerous sport. Um, and you do have jockeys who die, and you do have jockeys who are crippled. And as you know, uh, you have lots of horses who are euthanized oftentimes. If you shatter your leg, the horse has to stand on four legs. If he shatters a leg, uh, they put him down. You'll often see, um, they, they bring the ambulance out and they literally have a big sheet that they put between the crowd and the horse. Right. Uh, and, and you know that's only bad news when, that, when the sheet comes out. So uh, I think it does have problems. I think it has now become five days, but you make a good point. If you don't have, if the derby winner doesn't race, if there's no chance, the Belmont is still the Belmont. It's a triple crown race. It's a big deal. It's not what it used to be. But if they're going for a triple crown, it's the biggest thing. And if they're not going for a triple crown, it's not. And that's why the Preakness was almost like nothing. Because neither of these two horses who were in the Derby, the two um, maximum security, um, he was not in War of Will, in, but he didn't win the Derby. The two horses who could have won the Derby, the horse who finished first and the horse who got placed first, they were not. And that just takes the air out of the Preakness. It really does. So when you're looking at the field here, uh, as we had referred to uh, before, Tacitus, the horse that I took in our Triple Crown draft, uh, coming out uh, the morning line odds of 9-5. to five. So uh, pretty much in a, in a favorite slot here, you've got War of Will having won uh, the Preakness. But again, it remains to be seen what it's going to be doing uh, distance-wise here. Uh, as relates to our little competition, again, Jody Max got tax in there. Morning line odds of 15-1. to 1. Uh, but that's almost about as long as it gets in this field, uh, because again, uh, you, you've got uh, Jovia at thirty to one, which is the longest one, and then uh, you've got Tax at fifteen to one, Spinoff fifteen to one, a couple others ten to one, eight to one, etc. So uh, it seems to be again, and part of it is again Tacitus having run strong at the Derby. Again, wouldn't have been in the money if not for the uh, DQ, but it was. Uh, War of Will having won at the Preakness, so I don't want to necessarily say name recognition, but uh, basically that appears to have something to do with it as far as the morning line betting. And again, these other horses outside attacks uh, haven't really done anything, haven't been in the Triple Crown races this year. It's a weird field, I, I want to say in a way... Uh, kind of a weaker type field, because let's face it, if these horses had stronger uh, pedigrees and backgrounds to them, they'd have probably been racing in the uh, in the Derby. So uh, it's an interesting field. I know you said off air you like Tacitus. I do as well. I mean, number one, because I have to, because he's my horse. But again, <laughs> I I only see a couple of these ones that have been tested, obviously, in the previous races. I mean, it's not to say that one of these other ones can't do it. But I'm a student of the odds, and, you know, give me a horse that, that's been in there against the stronger competition in the earlier races. Uh, I think you make a good point. Look, most people think it is a two-horse race between War of Will and Tacitus. Um, I like Tacitus because I'm trying to knock you out of our competition. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I don't like War of Will because I think it's very hard to race three times in five weeks. Uh, I don't know if he gets a, um, you know, if he can get the distance. And 
as bad as his dirty trip was, his Preakness trip was that good. He had the perfect save down along the rail, uh, make one run at the end, um, and again, give him all the credit in the world. But uh, I don't know if he can get a mile and a half. And I think breeding is going to play a role. I can't say I, I, I always look at the breeding of these horses, but I can't say I usually decide based on breeding. But the, the sire of Tacitus is a horse named Tappet, and Tappet has become the dominant, he's one of the top sires, but he has become the dominant distant sire. And if you look at the Belmont, as you know, the only time these horses will ever race at a mile and a half, this is the dominant race for the dominant distant sire. And in the last five years, um, Tappet has sired the winner of the Belmont, Tonalist in 2014, Creator in 2016, uh, Taprit in 2017, and I think uh, he's also had he's also had a horse. When American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown, there was a horse by Tappet who finished second in the Belmont to American Pharaoh in 2015. And last year, you might recall the the Wise Guy horse was a horse named Hofberg, and it, who's by Tappet, and he finished third to Justify. So in the last five years. Tappet has three winners. No sire has ever sired, or maybe one sire in the 1870s, a sire named Lexington had sired four winners. Um, but no modern-day sire has sired more than three um, Belmont winners. And I think, aside from the fact everything else Tassin has had going for him, you know, when you talk about the Derby, it's a, it's, it's kind of a throwout race for a lot of horses, especially because it was a sloppy track. But even for Tacitus, you know, he was way back. He finished fourth place third. He was coming strong at the end. Um, you know, and I think he's a better horse than War of Will. But I also think he's by Tappet. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I think the Tappet angle here is a huge angle. And I didn't think, I'm surprised he's the favorite. And I think War of Will might still be the favorite because if you follow the horses a little bit, what do you know? You know War of Will got knocked out of the Derby. You know he won the Preakness. You know Tacitus finished fourth and was placed third. What does that mean? Um, and if you don't get into the breeding and things like that, I assume they did this, you know, kind of because he has the pedigree. And pedigree is most important, I think, in the Belmont because the question is, can you go a mile and a half? And again, it's the old, this specific horse, or any horse in this race, you don't know if they can go a mile and a half to win. until they go a mile and a half. Right. <laughs> that's true. And, and that's, that's you know, but, but Tacitus on his sire side, he has pulpit, and it goes back to AP Indy, who was a great distance horse, Seattle Slew, who was one of the greatest horses of all time. On the dam side, the dam uh, has horses like, uh, is related to horses like Unbridled, who sired the 2003 Belmont winner, Empire Maker. And Nijinsky, who's one of the greatest horses of all time, who not only won the British Triple Crown, but actually won races up to a mile and three quarters. This is only, and you never hear anybody say that, this is only a mile and a half. So there's a ton of pedigree on both sides, sire and dam for Tacitus, and I think uh, I think that's going to bode well. And in terms of derby races for, frankly, any of these horses, the which is why I would have liked game winner if he was in, it was so sloppy uh, that I think you can excuse virtually all bad races. Um, and, and that would go for tax, by the way. I know he is 15 to 1, and I'm not trying to stick up for Jody Mack, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
if you don't like the slop, you don't like the slop. And you, if you have the guts to throw that out, you're going to get some real value on a horse like Tax, for example. Or another horse I like a little named Bourbon War. I know we'll get to our selections. Um, but there are three tappets in the race. And in my mind, after researching <laughs> the breeding, Rick, I think you have to at least use all three of them, not necessarily to win. Uh-huh. But certainly in your exactas or your triples or your uh, superfectors, uh, I'm thinking of King Tacitus, and you know it's against my religion to pick the favorite, um, but I really think he has a huge shot in the breeding to me. You know, again, Bill Mott, Hall of Fame jockey, he won the Derby, but this is his other horse, and uh, and Jose Ortiz is a top, top jock, so... I think that's, you know, the 10 doesn't matter in the Belmont mile and a half race. The outside doesn't really matter. You just want to get to the rail and save ground. Um, so, and, of course, again, it's not 19 horses or 15 horses. It's only 10. And I think that's a relatively small field now for the um, for the Belmont. Yeah, it, it uh, is going to be a fascinating spectacle. I'm on Tacitus, uh, like I said, and uh, certainly I hope that's the way it turns out. Uh, my closing thoughts on this uh, are, Steve, that uh, among the many, many, many ways that horses and humans diverge, I'm struck by this when you're talking about Tappet and being so renowned for the breeding and everything like that. And for as much as that horse gets around, essentially that horse is the Antonio Cromartie of the horse racing world, and yet Tappet gets respect. Horses are different than humans, Steve. <laughs> Well, I will say this: people are paying two hundred and twenty-five thousand a pop to breed to Tappet. So, believe me, there's a lot of horses by Tappet we probably never heard of who aren't that good. But when you get to this level, yeah, and I gave you the record over the last five years, that's incredible. That is by far the greatest five-year run of any horse of any sire in the history of the Belmont. Um, so, and and look, there's ten horses in three are by Tappet, so that yeah. tells you something as well. Absolutely, and uh, you know that's going to be uh, again uh, tap it with a three in ten chance of being a proud papa, at least in terms of the number of horses in the race, if not their actual odds. So we'll see how that shakes out, and uh, hopefully NBC doesn't get what they're uh, looking for uh, Saturday, another freak show, because uh, generally that's something that's not good for the sport, and sometimes, as we pointed out, tragic for the sport. So shame on NBC for rooting for something out of the ordinary to happen, because nine times out of ten, that's probably at minimum going to be a dead horse. So here's hoping we get through this, and I'm a big believer in the law of averages, what are the odds we see three races in a row or something goes like that? I, I think it's going to be perfectly straightforward, by the books, sunny day probably on on Saturday, and nothing that we probably remember five minutes after it's done. But uh, in, in so being, I promise I will remember it if Tacitus is able to do it, because that will get me two wins in a row after Justify last year with the Triple Crown. So. Go over Tassus. my objection. <laughs> oh, objection, objection. Who do I complain to over my objection? Oh, Just kidding. Awesome. I, I think he's the best horse in the race. And yeah. uh, we'll see if that's true. In other words, I don't think there's going to be what you said. I don't think there's going to be jockeys falling off of horses. I don't think there's almost going to be, you know, seven horse mashups. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other thing is it's horse racing and you never know. Yeah, one never knows. And obviously that's the element that NBC is selling very cynically. So, We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, the, the race obviously has a long way to go to live up to our preview of the race, which is generally how these things go. So, Steve Callis, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much for being on. Great to be with you as always, Rick.
I appreciate it, and uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the FDH Lounge. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 